So open up your Bibles uh, to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. We're going to read verses 1 through 17. Matthew's in the New Testament. It's the first gospel in the New Testament. So if you want to open up around three quarters of the way in and you'll find it there. Matthew 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. I love that. The whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts. He drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Where he spent the night. Well, today is going to be kind of fun. I uh, get to tag team the preaching duties today with my father. Which is cool. What I told him earlier um, on Friday, that's when he found out he was going to be tag teaming with me. I said, we'll be like the old WWF wrestling back in the day. I will wear the guy out, tire him out, get him on the mat. We'll, we'll tag each other. Then you get up on the top rope on the corner of the ring and you just come down with a big pile drive. Seal the deal. That's right. Right. So it's, it's kind of funny that, I would, that we would talk like that because you know how many times my dad and I watched wrestling growing up? Fat zero, a big goose egg. We would have never watched wrestling growing up. My dad, if, I, if he'd have caught me watching wrestling, he would have just thought of me a little bit lower. I, I can only imagine. But that's what we're going to do today. If you've ever been to a traditional Easter service, uh, they'll have like an Easter cantata. Ever heard of an Easter cantata or an Easter musical? And Palm Sunday, it's the part of the service where they do the... Um, the triumphal entry and the people are raising the palm branches and and the leaves and they're singing hosanna hosanna in the highest hosanna in the highest and the scripture that we just read uh, they also lay their cloaks right on the ground the branches on the ground on the road before this donkey comes um, along the road palm sunday was always kind of fun as a kid because at the church we went to which was wabash presbyterian out in the enumclaw plateau when you exited the service you got this palm leaf it wasn't a palm branch but it was like a leaf from a palm and you can do a lot of fun things with those right you can uh, time around your antenna let it flap in the wind you can make bracelets out of it necklaces out of it being the boy that i was what do you think i tried to do with it swords yeah come on or you hit someone hit your sister with it a lot of fun um, i thought it was great uh, I don't know if my sister thought it was great, but I thought it was great. And if you're Catholic or if you were brought up in a Catholic background, you'd know this is a pretty important week, uh, the beginning of Holy Week, which would include things like Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, uh, those kind of things. And I would encourage us, even though we aren't Catholic, we could sure learn a lot from them during this week, uh, this this. This remembrance of Jesus, what he has done for us during this time, remembering what he accomplished through this week, this triumphal entry, this arrest, his trial, his suffering, his death, and ultimately his resurrection. 
If you have children, I strongly encourage you, find a time this week to sit down with your kids. Talk about Jesus. Talk about his death and his resurrection. Talk about what Good Friday is and what uh, Easter Sunday is all about. If you think you can, uh, if you think you have the stomach for it, I'd encourage you to watch The Passion of the Christ. How many of you have watched The Passion of the Christ? It's really not one of my favorite movies just because it's so intense, but it's so good for me when when I've watched it. It it wrecks me. It it completely wrecks me. I remember the first time I saw it, I I realized I had never fully grasped what Jesus had done for me on that cross until I had visually seen it represented on a movie screen. And to be honest, I, I still don't fully grasp and understand, comprehend the magnitude of his sacrifice, but that movie really opened my eyes to the depth of God's love. For us, it doesn't matter how many times I've read or watched this portion of scripture. It's always a very emotional experience for me. Anyone else have that response? Just absolutely. Uh, It's a moving experience to see the great love that the father has for us that was demonstrated on this cross. This love, it, it can be overwhelming, right? It can be overwhelming. And it's also very humbling. Romans 5, 8 says this for God showed his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If that isn't a humbling truth and overwhelming, it's an amazing truth. Amazing truth of the love of God. That while we were still sinners, while we were opposed to him, while we were even God's enemies, Christ died for us. And so that's what we remember this week. And as much as this week is about Christ dying for us, we know that Easter is right around the corner. We know that Jesus paid that price for our sins on the cross, but he's still not just hanging up on that beam of wood. No, he is alive. He's resurrected from the grave. And you better believe we're going to celebrate that this upcoming Sunday. I would encourage you, like Jason said, invite your friends, invite your family to come along. But today I want to spend, I believe, the necessary time to explain this triumphal entry. This triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem the week before his death. And his resurrection. I was reading this passage. I read it several times over. And as I was reading, I was I just began to get this impression that, you know what? This guy who they're talking about, this guy that's riding in on this donkey. I know him. I know him. He's not it's not just a story. I know him as a Christian. I know him and I love him. This man, he's my Lord. He's my master. He's my savior. He's my redeemer. That's what we talked about last week, right? He's my deliverer. He's my friend. And Jesus, he is my king. This triumphal entry of Jesus, it is the entrance of my king. That's what we're going to talk about today. Jesus, the king. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray to the Lord? Jesus, I love you. I know you. And you know me. And I pray that today, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, you would speak that. To each and every one of us, that you know us, that you love us, that you care for us, that you've made a way for each and every one of us, that our sins are forgiven, that we are free in you, Christ Jesus. And I pray that today we would just for maybe for the first time, some of us, but some of us maybe once again, realize and understand that you are our king and we serve you and you alone. Preach this to us, Lord. Teach us this. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. So originally I was just going to focus on the first part of that psalm. psalm or not psalm, but um, uh, the book of Matthew chapter 21. At the beginning where he's coming in on that donkey. But as I kept on reading through that chapter, it all began to speak to me very loudly and very, very clearly that Jesus is my king. Jesus is the king. Remember back in the fall, we were finishing the book of John and we talked about this idea of Jesus being our king. We finished the book of John. We studied Jesus's arrest. We studied uh, his trial right before Pontius Pilate and his death and his resurrection, but how people had really rejected Jesus as their king, even though that's exactly who he was. And don't you know, this rejection is still taking place today, right? It is absolutely. People are still rejecting him, refusing to serve him as king. If that's you today, I'm so glad that you're here with us today. I really am. This morning, Jesus is giving you another opportunity to receive him as your Lord, your master and your king. My prayer that in today's message by the Holy Spirit, this message would be clear to you. It would be obvious to you that Jesus wants to be your king. So let's open up Matthew chapter 21, verse one. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage and the Mount or at the Mount of Olives, 
Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt. The full of a beast of burden. Behold, your king is coming. The king is coming. And as Christians, we see Jesus as our king. We recognize his kingship in our lives. We sing songs about him being the king. We pray. What do we pray to the Lord? We say, Lord, may your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But as, re- as much as we recognize his kingship and that he is king, we also know that Jesus is coming back again soon and his kingship is going to look a little different than it does now. Anybody recall what the term four square means? This is a little trivia for you. There's, there's four things because it's four square. So that's a little hint for you. But I'll give you the first one. Jesus, the savior. Anyone remember the second one? Jesus, the baptizer in the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the Healer, and then this one, Jesus, the. We have some pretty good Foursquare people here. I am so impressed. I struggled with that one on my test, so uh, you're better than I am. But yeah, Jesus Christ, the soon and coming King. The King is coming back. And certainly Jesus' kingship now has created a season of salvation. A season of salvation in which you and I can be saved from our sins, saved from the wrath of God. There is still time. Even this morning there is time where you can accept the amnesty that King Jesus has offered us. You can renounce your allegiance to self, renounce your allegiance to success or money, family, sex, security, whatever it might be. Renounce your allegiance to whatever is currently ruling you besides Jesus Christ. And instead, you can bow your knees, you can receive Jesus as your king, swear allegiance to his kingdom, be on his side forever and ever in everlasting joy. We are in the season of salvation. And you know what? It's actually been a pretty brief season. Yes, 2,000 years and 2,000 years seems like a long time to someone who's barely been alive for 30 years. But compared to how long we will exist in either heaven or hell, it is so very brief. Personally, I love that I was born during this time of existence. I love it during this age of the church. I wouldn't want to be born any other time. The privilege of living under God's grace, being obedient to that greatest commandment that we talk about of loving God and loving others as ourselves, living under this great commission to go out into the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What an exciting time to be alive. Maybe I'm the only one that's excited about that, but I don't care. I really don't. But a day is coming. A day is coming. We don't know when, but a day is coming when the kingship of Jesus will look very different than it does now. This is how John describes it in the book of Revelation. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true with justice. He judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows, but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. My response to that passage is simple. Come to Jesus. Come to him now, today. Accept God's gift of grace before the kingship of Jesus appears like what I just read. Second Corinthians 6.2 says something along those lines. It says, behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. I believe that's what Matthew is trying to say to us this morning through this passage. As he proclaims his, as Jesus proclaims his kingship in this passage. Today is the day 
of salvation. Jesus wants us to hear and he wants us to see that he is king and his kingship. It's global. It's universal. It's for all the nations and all the people of the world. And in this season of the church, his kingship, just like that video talked about, his kingship is gentle. It's meek. It's welcoming. It's seeking, forgiving and patient. During this holy week, in a matter of days, Jesus will go up to that cross. He will shed his own blood to save all who would accept that free gift of pardon and come over to his side. And until he comes again on that white horse, this is the glorious truth and wonder of his kingship. His kingship saves sinners. Hallelujah. So pay attention to Jesus this morning. He is making a declaration to you this morning. He wants to win you. He wants to heal you. And he wants to save you. We're going to look at four ways that Jesus declares his kingship in this passage, in this triumphal entry. And make no mistake, Jesus knows he is king. He knows he is king as much as I know I'm a Mariners fan. Jesus is king. There's no question. There's no uncertainty. I am a Mariners fan, by the way. Chapter 28 of this book of Matthew. Listen to what he says. We've all heard it before. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Did you hear that? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That sounds like a king's speech to me. All authority on heaven and earth. Jesus knows he's the king, not just over Israel, but over all the nations. And Jesus declares his kingship, number one, by riding in on a donkey. Riding on a donkey, if you're keeping, along, keeping track with notes. Now, for me, as an American Christian in the year 2013, this doesn't do much for me. It just doesn't. Jesus riding in on a donkey, it doesn't seem that impressive. It kind of reminds me, if you've ever seen the movie um, Sherlock Holmes, the first one. Did you guys see that one where everyone's riding on these big, great horses, but Sherlock is afraid of horses, so he gets the donkey. And so everyone else is majestically riding through the forest, and then he's just kind of, you know, 100 yards behind him riding on his donkey. It's not flattering at all. The other thing I think about is that annoying voice of Eddie Murphy being uh, the donkey in Shrek singing, I'm a believer. I mean, it's not flattering at all. So, so what I have to do and what we all have to do is we have to look at this passage through the lens of a Jewish person living in Jesus' time. We've got to get Shrek out of our minds. In fact, you weren't even thinking about Shrek until I brought that up. Now you're all thinking about the gingerbread man. That's the funny part, by the way. See, the importance of Jesus riding in on a donkey, it has to do with the fact that Jesus is fulfilling Jewish promises of a coming king, of, of a coming Messiah. Prophecy. He's fulfilling prophecy of a coming king and Messiah. Matthew tells us this in verses 4 and 5. I just read it. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, that is to Israel, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. This quote is from the book of Zechariah, from the prophet Zechariah. Jesus has chosen to act out the fulfillment of this prophecy to declare his kingship in the action of riding on a donkey. Not because he was afraid of horses like Sherlock Holmes. No, he rode on a donkey because it had meaning to every single Jewish man and woman who saw him riding into town. They would understand its meaning. He is declaring, yes, I am king. But he's also declaring this. I am gentle. I am humble. I'm not in my first coming, coming on a white war horse with a sword and a rod of iron. No, I am coming to save you. Today is the day of salvation. But is he only coming for that daughter of Zion? Is he only coming for Israel? The book of Matthew, it quotes Zechariah 9 verse 9. But listen to what Zechariah 9 verses 9 and 10 says. Believe me, Jesus understood this context. Jesus knew his scripture very well. It says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the bow of war will be cut off. And he will speak peace to the nations, and his dominion, his kingship, will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So do you hear Jesus' declaration? His kingship, it will be for Israel, but it will be for all the nations. Very intentional in fulfilling Zechariah 9. By riding on this donkey, Jesus is declaring his gentle, humble, saving, Jewish, but also global kingship. And today I would say this. 
He is inviting you to receive him as king. Do you receive him? Do you receive his kingship? Number two, Jesus declares his kingship by cleaning house. Cleaning house. He's cleansing the temple. Look at verses 12 and 13. It says, Jesus entered the temple courts, drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling Dave's. Or selling Dave's. <laughs> selling doves. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> selling doves. Oh, that's funny. So this Savior King, he's meek, he's gentle. All the things that we keep on talking about, humble. But that does not mean that he does not have a passion for his father's glory. In no way. He comes in disgusted at what has happened to the temple. And he explains what he is doing by quoting another Old Testament passage, Isaiah 56, 7. The Old Testament, again, again, comes alive in the person of Jesus Christ. He quotes it again and again and again. Matthew, verse 13. It is written, he says... My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Two things that make this a significant action. And this quote from Isaiah, it is so significant. One is that the context of Isaiah is about a coming kingdom of God. So Jesus puts himself in that position of a coming king. But two, it's this. The context of Isaiah 56, 7 is global. It's not just Jewish. It's global. Very much like what I just read about Zechariah 9, 9. Listen to Isaiah now, this time 56, verses 6, 7, and 8. And the foreigners will join themselves to the Lord. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. For my house will be called a house of prayer for who? For all peoples. The Lord God will gather the outcast of Israel declares. I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Do you see it? Do you see it? Jesus' action in this temple are very purposeful. They show that his kingship is for all peoples. You know what that means, right? It means it's for you this morning. It's for you, and it's for you, and it's for me. It's a house of prayer for all peoples. It's for you. Do you receive it this morning? Do you receive his kingship this morning? Number three, Jesus declares his kingship through healing. Verses 14, it says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. You can read a line like that and just move right by it, right? Oh, Jesus healed somebody. Let me read it again. The blind. So people that can't see blind and the lame, not Keanu Reeves lame, but like physically lame. It's true. (laughs) But the physically lame came to Jesus. He healed them. He healed them. It's so easy to take the miracles of Jesus and just pass them by like it's no big deal. But can you imagine what would happen if a miracle of this scale took place in a church around here in the year 2013? It would be amazing. We tweeted on Twitter. We posted on Facebook. It would make the five o'clock news. Just imagine what impact this must have had. And it occurred in the most public place in the city, in the temple. We're talking about blind people and people who have injured appendages, who can't walk maybe, who are paralyzed. We're not talking about people with just headaches or sore throats. He healed the blind and the lame. A purposeful public declaration put on by Jesus. I'll show you why. This gets good. Let's go back 10 chapters. Matthew chapter 11. John the Baptist, he's in jail. And he's in jail. He sends his disciples to go to Jesus and ask Jesus, are you the expected one? Are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? In other words, are you the coming king of Israel? Are you the Messiah? Jesus sent back these words to John in Matthew 11 verses 4 and 5. Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. And what? The lame walk. Do you see Jesus' declaration to John? He's saying, yes, I am the expected one. Yes, I am the coming king. Sounds a lot like what Jesus is doing here in Matthew 21 in the temple. And by the way, Jesus is fulfilling Old Testament scripture again. In Isaiah, verse, or in Isaiah chapter 35, the prophet describes the coming kingship of the Messiah like this. He says, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will save you. Then the eyes of the blind are opened. And then later on, then will the lame leap. Like a deer. Jesus comes in on a donkey, humble, gentle, patient. He comes cleansing his father's house for all the people to make it a house of prayer for everyone. And he comes healing the blind and the lame. All to show that he is the king. 
Church, I say again, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Trust Him. Serve Him. Allow Him to be your King. Do you receive Him today as your King? Number four, Jesus declares His kingship by receiving praise from the children. I love this part. Jesus declares His kingship in the way he responds to what the people and the children are saying and doing. In verse 8, the crowds, they spread those cloaks out, right? And those branches out before him on the road. The, the spreading of the cloaks, you'll see this back in Second Kings, when King Jehu is declared king. What do they do? They take off their cloaks and they put it out before him. In the book of Matthew, the crowds are shouting, Hosanna, salvation to the son of David. They are hoping for a king in the line of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Again, they're quoting Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then in verse 15, the children, they're shouting the same things. Hosanna to the son of David. In other words, the king is here. The king is here. Now, do the chief priests like this at all? No. They are angry. In verse 16, it says this. Do you hear what these children are saying? I mean, these are frustrated chief priests. Priests, they can't believe what these children are saying, what the people are shouting. They can't believe what the people have been doing. And they can't believe that Jesus is allowing it all to take place. Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus answers with one word. What does he say? Yes. I love Jesus. I love him. He's awesome. He's just like, mm-hmm. Yep. You bet I do. Yep. I do. Not only do I hear it, I receive it. He receives it. Don't you know Jesus was looking in the eyes of those chief priests and he would have gladly received it from them. He would gladly receive it from us. Then Jesus quotes another Old Testament passage. Again, he's quoting so much Old Testament scripture. The Old Testament. Read the Old Testament. Read the Old Testament and I can guarantee you the, Old, the New Testament will come alive like it has never, never been before. It, it just will. I mean, some of us, we just stay away from the Old Testament like it was the plague. Open up your Bibles. Read the Old Testament. When you read the words of Jesus, it will make sense like it has never made sense before. So he quotes this time Psalm 8. And he says, have you never read... From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. Okay, What's so, get your thinking caps on. What's so amazing about this is that this verse is referring to God, the Psalm 8 verse. It's this, verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 8. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength. Or in the Septuagint, it would be praise because of your adversaries. So Jesus is quoting a scripture that is giving praise to God, right? Do you see what Jesus has done? He is receiving the praises of little children. And he is explaining the receiving of the praise from the little children by quoting a psalm where children are praising God. He has just declared to everyone who might hear that he is God. Not just a good moral teacher, not just a miracle worker, but God. An incredible declaration. An incredible declaration. So in this passage, we see the triumphal entry of the king because of his birth, his death, his resurrection. We are living in a day of pardon, a day of forgiveness and patience. He still is riding on that donkey. He is ready to save anyone and everyone who would receive him as their savior and their king. But Jesus is coming again. And this time it won't be on a donkey. It will be on a white war horse with a rod of iron. And he will come to be the king over all the kings. He will be the Lord of all the lords. He'll be the king of Israel, king of all the nations, king of all nature, king of the entire universe. So again, today, I would say this to you. Come to him. Receive him. Give your allegiance to him. Do you receive him this morning as your king? Because here's the sad part of that Easter cantata, that Easter play that I was talking about. The same 10, 15 actors in their robes and whatnot. They'd celebrate that arrival of Jesus into Jerusalem. They'd be wearing those, raves, those robes. They'd be waving those palm branches. And they'd be shouting out, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! They were receiving their king. Yet in that play or that drama, about 15 minutes later, after the choir had sung a couple of songs, those same 10 to 15 people were shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! And I never understood it as a kid. They chose to free Barabbas 
and have Jesus crucified? What happened? It was so joyful. It was so happy. It was so exciting. People were jumping up and down. They were waving their arms, singing praises to him. Everyone in the audience was clapping and smiling. I thought we were welcoming the king. I thought we were giving our allegiance to him, our loyalty to Jesus. But what happened? What happened? Well, he gave me the good part to say <laughs> what happened. Well, double clutch a little bit here. You old guys know what that means. You're driving trucks. You've got to double clutch to get back into second after first. And Danny's such a good minister that it's, uh, it's kind of difficult here. But we're going to slow up. Going to slow up. Well, what happened? What happened in this time? Why did this group of people, the Jewish, receive him with such happiness? with such exuberance and then all of a sudden they turn and they go back into uh, shouting and hating Jesus and with, with, with uh, all of their heart well first of all we must know that by this time the Jewish people were under the Romans for over 200 years as long as our country has existed as far as a country not when we first came you know in 1500s but as a country the Romans were under the Romans had control of the Jewish people and the Romans were vicious people they controlled by brutality because they controlled most of the world and there's just not that many Italians in order to control most of the world so what they did they controlled it through brutality so here, when they accepted Jesus coming, they said, this is in the line of David. Well, in the line of David, what happened in David's time? In David's time, Israel was known throughout that region as a great nation. And in fact, when they talk about gold, they talk about tons of gold. You know, we think about a ring and so forth, and we try to give a few things to somebody to see how much money it's worth and they'll say it's worth two hundred dollars or whatever well David and Solomon they had tons and tons of gold so Israel was well known and their status was great and so when these people received Jesus now this is a man who did what Jesus he could control the weather Jesus could heal he could he could heal the crippled he can open the eyes. This is a man that could do anything. Now, if you were under, if you were under the, the auspices or the, or the, the um, uh, power of an awful country like Rome, that you would want to see this. And so they were receiving Jesus as a king. They were hoping this man can deliver us from the Romans. And so they, they were there, not, and they loved Jesus because he did wonderful things, but they were there in order to receive him as the king, the secular king. But they found out that this wasn't going to be true. Now, Pilate, Pilate did not want to crucify Jesus. The Jewish leaders wanted to crucify him, especially the religious orders, because they knew that Jesus was supplanting or replacing their authority amongst the Jewish community. So they wanted to, you know, they wanted to get rid of this man, Jesus. They never, never believed in him. They did not want to accept him as anything but a carpenter. But so when they, they stirred up the crowd, but the crowd also was stirred up with the fact that Jesus was not going to be the ruler that they thought. So here's what Pilate, Pilate did not want to crucify him, but in kind of derision or in a mocking tone, he brought Jesus out after Jesus had been beaten and, and he was completely overwhelmed physically. He was under the control of the Romans. And here are these people that hoped that this man would deliver them who would be their king, king after David in his lineage, would, would deliver them back into a great nation. Here this man came, and he was humiliated, belittled, 
And Pilate says in derision, here is your king, he said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? And the people said, we have no king but Caesar. Otherwise, he is the king that we can find the best blessing from. Because if we please Caesar, at least he will help us in some manner. And so that was their, their, their uh, recall, their, their call back to him. And then Pilate said earlier to Jesus, he says, are you the king of the Jew, Jews? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants wouldn't fight to prevent the arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. And so he was telling them that we know his kingdom is the kingdom of the spirit. His kingdom wasn't going to be a secular kingdom set up here on earth. And by the way, all you that are believers are in his kingdom right now. But okay, so here we have Jesus being presented as the king and the people seeing him being uh, being humiliated rejected him and said no this is not our king Caesar is he says to Pilate he says you are right in saying I'm a king in fact for this reason I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth everyone on the side of the truth listens to me and we worship Jesus in spirit and truth now I just wanted to give you that overview because I think that sometimes as American Christians we get into a position of thinking that Jesus is going to come as our king to rescue us from every problem every situation that we're never going to feel any sorrow no never going to have life a life that isn't really successful that uh, that we are going to always find success in Jesus Christ We're always going to be happy. We're always going to have peace. We're always going to be successful in everything we do. And I just want to tell you that that's not the scriptures. I I want to tell you that that's not the scriptures. See, that's what the Jewish people expected from Jesus. They expected him to change their lives. Their lives here, their secular lives. They're breathing in and out. How they're going to uh, deal with the world. Are they going to be, have peace? Are they going to find, find things successful in their family? This is what they wanted from Jesus. But Jesus says, this is not my kingdom. And I want to tell you that it's very important that you understand that. Because the American Christian believes that they bring Jesus into their life as a vaccination. That everything's going to be solved. That your life is going to be happy. That you're not going to not find any struggles. You're not going to find any more sicknesses. And we just say, believe enough and you'll have all of that. Well, by the way, Jesus does provide you with wonderful, wonderful miracles. The reason why you're blinking today is because the Spirit of God gave you that ability to blink. That ability for that heart to go. God is is doing miracles right now in you at this time. You have God there. I want to preface that. God provides a lot of miracles right now for you just to live. But he also provides supernatural miracles like healings and things like that. And I've experienced that. But I want, to, I want you to understand that it is not always true for us that Jesus will solve all of our problems. Now... Here we have the crucifixion coming, and we have Jesus underneath the Romans. He is experiencing, he's experiencing all of the trials that flesh can experience. They beat him, they whipped him, they hurt him, they humiliated him, they exposed him to nakedness. He was experiencing all of that. And we say, well, that's good for Jesus. But I want to tell you, this is what Jesus told the ones he loved the most, were his disciples. And they gathered around him, and Jesus 
is telling them what's going to happen. Now, these are the ones that he lived with. These are the ones that protected his back. These are the ones that cared most for him, and he protected their back. He cared, he cared for them. These are the ones that Jesus loved greatly. And what does he tell the ones he loves greatly? He's going to say, you're going to have a wonderful, wonderful life. You're going to have a successful life. You're going to have peace in your heart. You're never going to experience any anxiety. You're never going to have any troubles. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say this. See, this Christian, this is where you have to be if you're going to endure. The scriptures are full of scriptures saying, endure to the end. Endure to the end. No, he tells them. He says, listen, my beloved, you're going to experience trials. They're going to think that when they persecute you, they're doing God's will, and they're going to kill you. How many of you in this congregation are going to raise your hands now and say, Lord, my king? See, that is the life that God is asking of us. During our trials and our hurts and our pain, that we still hold true to Jesus Christ. Those disciples went from city to city preaching the words of God. And they were hurt and abused and troubled by everyone around. They did not like them. They wanted to get rid of them. When you were baptized in that culture, what did it mean? It meant ostracism. If you were the oldest son, you would receive land and the, and the, the uh, goods of your dad. But if you became a Christian, you were completely cut off. It meant living for Christ regardless. It meant living whether he slay me or not. And this is, this is what I want to get across to you. They turned against him because they realized he could not make their lives better. And they said, crucify him, give us Barabbas. Who was Barabbas? An insurrectionist. What's an insurrectionist? One who tries to overthrow the government. Give us him. He might help us. But this Jesus we see there, bound, whipped, with his head bowed. We don't want him. He can't help our lives. He can't make us more successful. Let him go. Crucify him. Get him out. He humiliates us because he says he's our king, but he's not a king at all. He can't do anything for us. He can't do anything for us. As you get older, you have experiences that you find out aren't always so successful in Christ. That's why it's pretty good to listen to old people, even though we speak slowly. Okay, because they've had experiences in their lives that they could not understand. They say, if I serve a loving Jesus, how come? If I've gone to church three or four times a week, how come? If I told everyone I, 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 I know, how come? We were babysitting a little baby and she died in our home. And we thought, how come? And by then we were going to church at least four times a week. How come, Lord? You said we don't need a watchman to protect the house. How come this little baby? My wife lost her stability, had a nervous breakdown, and the days turned to darkness. But I was a teacher, and I had to get up and pretend that everything was right. And I was a teacher of junior high, so you really got to be up on it, or you'll get torn to pieces. <laughs> so so you, the Lord was teaching us, regardless, Cliff, will you serve me? Will you serve? 
See, some of you got bitter just because somebody in the church says something about you. I don't know if I want to go to church anymore because somebody said something about me. That's negative. Or my wife and I aren't getting along, and why doesn't God do something for that? Or I got in a wreck. Why didn't God prevent that? We blame God for just about everything. You know, how come I'm not as pretty as I want to be? <laughs> what, what did, why didn't God prevent that? Dan had to turn on my mic because I can hardly get my shirt tucked anymore because of my shoulders and so forth. Why doesn't he do those things? Listen, my friend. Listen, my friend. God loves you. He gave his life for you. And he says, are you going to live by faith or are you going to live by feelings? Are you going to live by the successes in your life? Or are you going to live just because I'm good? Do you believe I'm good? When you're struggling in your life, do you believe I'm good? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit is groaning for you? It says the Holy Spirit is groaning for you. And he's petitioning God. With the right words, the right concepts, look at my beloved little one. Answer them. Do what will make them successful in the spirit. Let their lives come alive. You can't pray for anything more than, Lord, bless, bless Jason. Bless Adam. You can't really tell God how. Bless him. Put their lives back together. Provide for every yearning they will have. Let them see you, dear Lord, for what you do. You can't, you can't tell God what to do. You say, bless them. Lord, I want you to bless them. And the Spirit brings them to the Lord. And what does the Scripture say right afterwards when the Spirit... How long did that go? Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm not even on, on the word I showed you, am I? Bless them. And it says right after that in the scriptures, it says that spirit works out our lives, that we are successful, that all things work together for the glory of the Lord. All things. Why? Because the Spirit is praying right. The Spirit is petitioning God. The Spirit is telling God what is necessary. Now, are you going to endure? Or are you going to hang on to your life? Now, there are two people, two kinds of people that were there. And we'll, we'll come down off this plane here. Two kinds. There's one kind that through these... Branches down. They put their cloaks down. They said, we're receiving the king. And the king is going to deliver us and make our lives better. And there's another kind that said, we're receiving the gentle, loving Jesus. And we'll follow him wherever we are. What kind are you? I tell you. The world is not your home. You might win this world and lose your own soul. Paul was told by the Holy Spirit. Now, wouldn't you like the Holy Spirit to talk to you? He'd sure comfort you, pat you on the back, kiss you on the cheek, and give you a great big hug. He said, you're going to face suffering from one city to the next. You're going to be persecuted, beaten, and hurt. That's what the Spirit said to him. That's what the Spirit said to him. How many would say, aha, I raised my hand for that one. (laughs) Praise God. Thank you, Spirit. (laughs) Holy Spirit, you're so good. No, see, that's the difference. We are Christians in this congregation who endure. There's not one little thing that will keep you from serving God. 
There's not a death in their home, a disease that you have, an experience that burns your soul that will keep you from serving God. Because you intend to serve him. And this is what Jesus said. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone, you're going to be persecuted. My lovely John, Peter, you're going to hang upside down. They're going to kill you, James. They're going to behead you. And Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. His life, his experiences, what he thinks is best, and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains everything nice and right for himself? But he loses his life. What good is it if he forfeits his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? If you're, are you going to give for exchange for your soul a great marriage? I hope you have a great marriage. I think God provides you with that. Or that you never experience any sorrow? What are you going to forfeit for your soul? See, you can go out and earn a lot of good things just because you intend to do so by your own will. But you're not that kind. You said, the will of the Father. Let the will of the Father be in me. I will die to my will, my way, what I think is right, and give God his right in my life. That's who we are. Amen. Thank you, Dad. Let's go ahead and bow our heads in prayer. I don't want to move past this, Lord. Because so many of us walk into this room with a list of complaints and gripes against you, Lord. Because we thought when we accepted you as our Savior and our Lord that We got the entrance and admission into Disneyland. And we spend 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years wondering when we'll actually get to go on the ride because it's not feeling very much like Disneyland. And yet the promise for us, Lord, isn't that experience, but it's you. (laughs) The promise is you. The reward is you. Even if this whole world was taken away from us and one day this whole world will crumble, (laughs) it will fade away. But even if everything was taken from us, Lord, we'd still have you. Nothing could ever separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Nothing, nothing. It says neither death nor life. Nothing. Are you enough? (laughs) Are you enough? And for myself, Lord, I say, yes, you are enough. Persecution come, I will endure. Trials come, I will endure. Hardships come, I will endure. Tragedy come, I will endure. I joked about it earlier, but if no one else is excited, I'm still excited. All I need is you, Jesus. All I need is you. I pray that we would just feel that within our hearts, Lord, this morning. That all we need is you. If, if our whole office at work turned against us, all we need is you. If our family ostracized us and abandoned us, all we need is you. If the church broke apart and, and, and all declared uh, apostasy, all I need is you. I don't need anything but you, Jesus. All I need is you. That this church would be built upon that. That all our eggs are in one basket. Jesus. That we're a one-trick pony. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And that even if everything on our list of hopes and dreams didn't come true, we would still cry out, worthy is the Lamb of God.
Worthy is the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. Worthy, 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 worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. Even though I feel like I'm wasting away in the flesh, you are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. Even though it feels like the darkness is around me, you are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. Even though it looks like this world is falling apart, you are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. We trust in you, Lord. We trust in you, God. We put our trust in you. We trust you. We have faith in you. We believe in you. We believe in your blessings. We believe in your goodness. We believe in your peace. We believe in your joy. We believe in your love. But more than anything, we believe in you. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is what I want to do. I want us to, we're going to sing a song and, and, and worship teams, you come up. We, we had laid out these palm branches just to give you a visual for today and, and what Palm Sunday would look like. And it's beautiful and I love how it looks. But I'd say this to any of you. That I think we have about 60 of them here. For some of you, there is just within your heart the realization that you, you have... You are kind of picking and choosing whether you're going to follow God. You, you choose him on Tuesday and you crucify him on Wednesday. And then you pick him again back up on Friday. Then you crucify him again on Saturday. And I would just say this, that um, these palms represent the declaration that Jesus is our king. Regardless of what our lives would look like, even if we die tomorrow, Jesus is our king. That's, that's what I declare with this. As a Christian, that's what I declare with this little thing that I can make into a bracelet or a necklace or, or hit Jason with. This is what I declare with this, is that Jesus is my king. Jesus is my king. Church, we will be able to do the supernatural in this community if we believe that Jesus is our king. And I can guarantee you that our community will know if you don't think Jesus is our king. They can pick it out pretty easily. They can pick out a phony. And the way they know is how we live. That's how they know. It's by what we're shouting, what words we're shouting. And yes, our sins are great. And yes, we still are imperfect. But we're the king's kids. And we serve the king, good or bad. And Dad talked a little bit about the Spirit. Well, one of the things about serving the King is you're going to have the fruit of the Spirit all over you. So the community around us is going to see love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, all those things. A little self-control. They're going to see that. But if you don't believe He's your King, you're not going to act that way. You're not. You're going to be ticked. God, we're not giving you anything. You have wasted my life, God. I tried serving you, and this is what I get. And that's how, if that's how you feel, that's what I'm going to start communicating to him, and what I'm going to start communicating to John, and what I'm going to start communicating to Jason. Yeah, Jason, I believe you. That's absolutely right. He's a waste, waste of time. You get nothing with God, just heartache and, and pain. But I would just pray that as a church... I pray over this church that we would not communicate that to this world any longer. If that's what you're communicating, leave that at the cross. Burn it up. That instead, what we would communicate to this world is, yes, in this world you will have troubles. (laughs) But Jesus has overcome the world. He overcomes. We sang that already. And one day he is coming again. And he will reign forever and ever. But how joyous it is for those of us that don't wait until then when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. How joyous and wonderful it is for those of us who declare him king today. Who declare his lordship over our lives today. And so this is what I'm going to do. If you aren't a Christian and you would want to be a Christian today, uh, you can talk to me later. But all I'm going to ask you to do is, uh, while we sing this song, maybe just come up and grab one of these palm leaves. It's you saying, I am calling you my king today, Lord. And for the rest of us, some of us, we just, we know how we came in today. We know the list we came in with. We know how our hearts were. You might need to just come up, grab one of these palm leaves and say, 
regardless of how I came in, this is how I'm leaving. <laughs> right? I know what a fool I've been, but now I'm going to be a fool for Christ. And so would you stand with us and we're going to sing this song together. And if the Lord is speaking to you, I just encourage you to come up front, grab one of these, and, and just allow the visual representation of it saying that you declare Jesus as your king. Let it penetrate your heart, penetrate your life today, that you would leave changed, not the same.